Now as Peter went here and there among them all, he came down also to the saints who lived at Lydda. There he found a man named Aeneas, bedridden for eight years, who was paralyzed. And Peter said to him, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. Rise and make your bed. And immediately he rose. And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon saw him, and they turned to the Lord. Now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. She was full of good works and acts of charity. In those days she became ill and died, and when they had washed her, they laid her in an upper room. Since Lydda was near Joppa, the the disciples, hearing that Peter was there, sent two men to urge him, Please come to us without delay. So Peter rose and went with them. And when he arrived, they took him to the upper room. All the widows stood beside him, weeping and showing tunics and other garments that Dorcas made while she was with them. But Peter put them all outside and knelt down and prayed. And turning to the body, he said, Tabitha, arise. And she opened her eyes, and when she saw Peter, she sat up. And he gave her his hand and raised her up. Then calling the saints and widows, he presented her alive. And it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed the Lord. And Peter stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon, a tanner. Let's pray. Lord, it is, it is a spirit that gives life. The flesh profits nothing. We need your spirit to come here today and help us to see what you want us to see from this text. I pray that we would, by faith, come face to face with the living Christ, the risen, powerful, present, perfect, personal, Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ. And that we would be transformed. For it is when we see him that we are transformed from one degree of glory to another. So help us to see him today. In Jesus' name, amen. This morning, Jesus wants you to know him as a risen Savior. And as a personal Savior. And as a present Savior, not distant, but present Savior. And as a powerful Savior, not a weak one, not, a one, not one who tries and tries and tries with all of his might, but can't accomplish much. He wants you to know him as a risen, personal, present, and powerful Savior. The book of Acts is about Jesus. It's all about Jesus from beginning to end. He's alive, he's working, he's saving, he's healing, he's delivering, he's raising the dead. When you read through the book of Acts, you get this strong sense that Jesus is on the move. If you remember way back in Acts chapter 1, it's, uh, Luke is the author of Acts, and it says that in, in his first account, in the book of Luke, He wrote about all that Jesus began to do and teach. The book of Acts is Luke's account of what Jesus continued to do and to teach through the Holy Spirit empowering his people. 
In Acts chapter 1, the disciples saw Jesus alive from the dead. And the rest of the book of Acts, in the rest of the book of Acts, the people of God, the church, they are carried along by the risen Christ through the Holy Spirit. This is how they move forward, and this is how we must move forward as well. Our only way forward is through the risen Christ. When you read a story like this in Acts chapter 9, is there any expectation that Jesus, our risen, personal, present, powerful Savior, might act in your life in a similar way? That he might show up and do something extraordinary in something powerful. That he can work in the present powerfully in the immediate situations you find yourself in. That he really can. Is there this kind of expectation that Jesus is present with us, that he's powerful with us even right now? Well, we see three amazing miracles in this text. You may say three. Yeah, two are really obvious. And the third one's not so obvious. In fact, you, you probably... You probably just, as I read, you just read over it with me. It doesn't seem obvious at all. But we see the risen Christ perform three miracles in this text. And these miracles do three things, at least three things. One, they demonstrate the glory of Christ. Remember what I said earlier in my prayer? I said, as we see Jesus, as we behold him by faith, with the eyes of faith, we are transformed and become more like him. From one degree of glory to the next, 2 Corinthians three seventeen and 18. So, miracles, the miracles of this text, and I would say any true miracle, big or small, they demonstrate the glory of Christ. Second, they authenticate the message of Christ. And third, they point forward to the coming kingdom of Christ. That's what miracles do in the book of Acts. So, let's, let's take each of these points one at a time. The miracles of this story, they demonstrate the glory of Christ, the glory of his power, the glory of his compassion. And I want you to be encouraged this morning. This is the same Christ who is alive today. This is the same Christ we just sang to, who was moving our hearts so deeply as we sung by his Spirit. He is here with us. And he wants us to be awakened in expectation that he is alive and present and personal and powerful. So these miracles, first, they demonstrate the glory of Christ, his compassion, his power. The glory of Jesus is seen in the first miracle that we see in his power over sickness and disease. The first miracle that takes place is Peter finding a man named Aeneas. It's a very short story. It's like verses 32 to 35, I think. Verses 32 to 35, just a very short story. Peter finds this man named Aeneas and demonstrates that Jesus has absolute power over sickness and is demonstrated right here. Does anyone doubt this, that Jesus has power over sickness? Like even today, this very moment that he has power over sickness. He demonstrated in his earthly ministry, right? He went about doing good, Acts 10 says, and healing all of those oppressed by the devil. So in this story, it simply says this, Peter found a man named Aeneas, 
and said this. I love these words. It says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you. And, he's, and then he bossed him around and said, get up and make your bed. You've been laying down for eight years. Time to get up and make your bed. But he, he didn't say, I have come to heal you. He says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ, present, personal. He's a person. He's risen. He's alive and powerful. Jesus Christ heals you. I love that. Jesus heals you. Peter understood who the healer was. It wasn't him. I mean, of course, he was given a gift to deliver to Aeneas. But Jesus is the healer. Jesus heals you. Get up, make your bed. That sounds like Jesus, doesn't it? Remember when the, the four friends bought the, the lame, brought the lame man to Jesus and they were gathered in a, in, a, in a house and there was such a large crowd they couldn't get through and so they, they, they climbed up on top and started digging through the roof and they lowered this man down through the roof and it says Jesus looked up and saw their faith. And first he says, your sins are forgiven. And uh, the, the Pharisees didn't like that. They said, who can forgive sins but God alone? And then Jesus said, in order that you may know that I have authority to forgive sins, he said to the man, get up, take up your mat, and go home. Peter is following in the footsteps of Jesus. Peter is continuing the ministry of Jesus. Peter is a conduit for Jesus to continue his work through the power of the Spirit. Jesus has power over all disease, all sickness, all disability, this very moment. The next miracle, we see the glory of Jesus in his power even over death. Even over death. We're brought to the story of Tabitha. Now it's interesting, Tabitha was a believer. Verse 36 says she was a disciple. She was she was a believer in Jesus. Now, we would say, gosh, a believer in Jesus, just let her stay in heaven, right? My goodness. But God had other things in mind. I love the, the statement that's made about Tabitha in memory of her in verse 36. It says, now, ta- now there was in Joppa a disciple named Tabitha, which translated means Dorcas. Are there any kids in here? Okay. I thought there might be some giggles from that. Um, and then it says this, she died... She was full of good works and acts of charity. Wouldn't you love that to, have been, to, to be said about you after you die? Lana, full of good works and acts of charity. Seth, full of good works and acts of charity. That's what was said about this woman, Tabitha. She was full of good works and acts of charity. So this woman died. She was beloved in the the church and the community there in Joppa. So they heard that Peter was in a nearby town called Lydda. So they sent sent two men to go get Peter. They, they, They say to Peter, come without delay. Come, please. Probably told him, a friend of ours has died. And Peter gets up and leaves immediately to join them. Now it says that apparently she had been died she had been dead for some time because they had already begun to get her ready for burial. They had washed her and laid her in an upper room. So she had been dead for hours at least. Lydda and Joppa were about 12 to 15 miles apart. So you figure that Peter you know, 
two guys walked to Jop or to Lydda and walked back. I don't know if that'd take 24 hours or not. But anyways, it took a period of time. She was laying in a room. She was, she was prepared for burial. And Peter sends everyone out of the room. The similarities here with Elijah healing the young boy with Elisha, healing the young boy with Jesus, healing the young girl, except Jesus took Peter, James, and John with him into the room and sent everybody else out. And Peter prays. He gets on his knees and prays. And then he turns to this dead corpse, this woman who had been dead for hours, and says, Tabitha, arise. And she does. And she does. Jesus has power over sickness. It reminds me of Mark chapter 5, verse 41, when Jesus comes to this young girl and he says in Aramaic, Talitha kum, little girl, I say to you, arise. Jesus has power over death itself. But there is one more miracle. And it might be the most profound, really. And yet... We just read over it. We see the power of Christ to change hearts. To change hearts. Verse 43. You probably didn't notice it. It almost looks like or sounds like a biographical footnote. But verse 43 is really, really important. Let me read it. And Peter, he, Peter, stayed in Joppa for many days with one Simon a tanner. I say, what is important about that? Peter, a Jew, would have viewed a tanner as an unclean man. A tanner was someone who would take hides off animals and tan them and dry them out and make leather out of them. Well, Leviticus 5 says anyone who does that, anyone who comes into contact with a dead corpse is unclean. And we see Jesus Christ overcoming deep-seated discrimination in Peter's heart. And isn't that sometimes a greater miracle than healing of broken bodies and even the raising of the dead? Miracles magnify the name and spread the fame of Jesus Christ. Remember when Jesus came into contact with the leper in Matthew chapter 4? And lepers too, right? It's like they were, they were unclean. They, were, they needed to, in fact, they had leper colonies. They would stay out there. And yet this leper came to Jesus in Matthew 4. And he said, Lord, if you can, or excuse me, if you will, you can make me clean. And Jesus didn't say, get back to your place. You're filthy. He didn't even say, I will be clean. It says he reached out and touched him and said, I will be clean. Peter's heart is being reformed by Christ. And we need our hearts reformed by Christ too. Miracles magnify the glory of Jesus Christ. Those we cannot see with the naked eye and those that are obvious to all. 
In John chapter 2, after Jesus turned water into wine, it says this. This is John speaking. It says, This, the first of his signs, Jesus did at Cana in Galilee and manifested his glory. Turning water into wine, healing the lame, walking on water, whatever it is. Our story, raising the dead, healing a man who's bedridden for eight years, or changing a crooked heart. Miracles manifest the glory of Jesus. So when Peter says, Aeneas, Jesus Christ heals you and helps him get up, or tells him to get up, get up and make your bed, the glory of Christ is manifested. Do you see it? Do you see the compassion and the power of Jesus? And when Peter raises Tabitha from the dead, the glory of Christ is manifested. And when Peter has his heart cracked open to stay with an unclean man, the glory of Christ is being manifested. Think about this. Jesus is able still to heal broken bodies and broken hearts. He is able to heal the brokenness of our souls due to the ravaging, ravaging of sin. He is able to raise the dead, certainly physically, but even more importantly, spiritually. In fact, if you are a believer in Christ, if you have repented and put your faith in Christ alone, then you are proof of that, that he raises the dead. And every one of us here, we know people, we long to see Jesus raised from the dead. We long for Jesus to call out spiritually to, the, to, to people, Arise, come forth from the grave, right? Like Lazarus, Lazarus, come out. The gospel is the power of God to save and transform hearts deformed by prejudice and discrimination and anger and bitterness and unforgiveness and all sorts of things. Miracles, big and small, perceptible and imperceptible, they demonstrate the glory of Christ. Number two, these miracles in our story, what they do is they authenticate the message of Christ. Demonstrations of power are used by God to spread the gospel, to spread the news about Jesus, the saving knowledge of Christ. Verse 35 and verse 42 make this explicit. Verse 35, after Aeneas is raised up, after being bedridden for eight years, the news got out. In verse 35, it says, And all the residents of Lydda and Sharon, so not just Lydda, but that whole area, Lydda and Sharon, this, this region, all the residents saw him and turned to the Lord. They saw this man. They saw Aeneas. They saw him walking. They heard that he was bedridden for eight years, paralyzed, and they saw this, and they turned to the Lord. Verse 42, after Tabitha is raised from the dead, it says, and it became known throughout all Joppa, and many believed in the Lord. Now, we don't see in, in, here in Acts chapter 9, Peter standing before crowds and preaching like in Acts chapter 3, but I think it's reasonable to assume that he did. Right? Miracles alone don't save anybody. I can see someone who's raised from the dead and even be told that they're raised from the dead. And that alone doesn't give me the saving knowledge I need to be born again. Right? 
people need to hear the gospel. In Acts chapter 3, when Peter and John raised up the man who had been sat at the beautiful gate for a long time, and it says the crowds saw and they rushed toward him, and Peter saw the crowds and he started to preach Christ. I think it's, I, I, I'm sure that it was either Peter or Aeneas or Tabitha and the saints in that area, they didn't just say, look at this guy, he was healed. Isn't that amazing? Believe in God. No, they, they used that as an opportunity to speak of Christ. And this is a pattern we see throughout the book of Acts. Healing or work of power and preaching or proclamation of the gospel. The prayer in Acts chapter 4, when the believers gathered together after Peter and John had been let go and warned, don't preach about Jesus anymore, don't do it. They go back to their friends and they pray. And here's what they pray. Lord, give us boldness. We're, we're tempted to be fearful. Give us boldness to preach while you stretch out your hand and heal and do mighty works through the name of your holy servant, Jesus. In Acts chapter 5, verses 12 to 16, it says, more and more multitudes were being added to them. And there were mighty miracles being taken place. I mean, like, amazing, breathtaking things. Like, people would lay lame people in the shadow of Peter, and if they just touched his shadow, they'd be healed. That's, like, stunning. In Acts chapter 14, verse 3, it says that Paul and Barnabas are in Iconium. And in verse 3, it says, So they remained in Iconium for a long time, speaking boldly for the Lord, who bore witness to the word of his grace, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hands. So they were preaching the gospel of God's grace, and the Lord was working with them, granting signs and wonders to be done by their hand. Now, this is just, I'm going to just step back for a moment. I think it is right and good to affirm that there was something unique and special not to be repeated about the the early church in the book of Acts. They, They were the apostles of Christ. They saw him as eyewitness, witness. They saw him with their eyes walking before them. He spent 50 days with them, teaching them about the kingdom And then he ascended. They were the initial recipients of the outpouring of the Spirit. I think there's something not to be repeated about the early, this first century church. I just do. But shouldn't we be uncomfortable settling for a kind of Christianity that looks so little like the early church? I think we should. I think it should unsettle us. I think we should be uncomfortable, not angry, not frustrated. Certainly not barking at God or anything like that. But a holy kind of uncomfortableness. A holy discomfort to pursue God for all that he may have for us. When you see the power of Christ radically changing someone's life, here's the deal. It is an apologetic. It is itself an argument for the Christian faith. In Mark chapter 5, there was a man who, uh, I mean, he was somebody to be, he was somebody, they were scared of him, the people in the area. He would run around at night and without clothes on and and scream. He'd like live among the tombs and stuff like that. I mean, somebody, anyways, Jesus came to him and this man fell before Jesus, 
had clearly had demonic issues, had demons possessing him. And Jesus said, what is your name? And the demon said, legion, for we are many. He had lots of demons, a thousand maybe, I don't know. Lots of them. Jesus heals this man, sets him completely free. So much so that he's clothed in his right mind, sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to him teach. And after, when Jesus decides to leave that area, this man wants to go with Jesus. says, I want to go with you. And Jesus says, no, go back to your home and tell them the wonderful things the Lord has done for you and how he's shown you mercy. You know what it says? It says he did. He went back to the Decapolis and told his friends all that the Lord had done for him. When Christ powerfully works in someone's life, in their heart, or a miracle, whatever it might be, working in our hearts is a miracle. It is an apologetic. It is an apologetic. It authenticates. It helps to confirm the gospel of Jesus Christ. It opens the door for the gospel. The ministry called Asia Harvest, it's a... It's a ministry that, that, that seeks to bring the gospel to the unreached peoples of Asia. They share a story online of a witch doctor's son who dies. Witch doctor, his son gets very ill, and the witch doctor tries all of his magic and takes him to others, and it doesn't work, and he dies. And there are two Christian evangelists in the area. I think this is in Na- Nepal, if I remember right. Um, there were two Christian evangelists in the, in the area, and they're asked to pray for his son. Now, granted, his son has been dead for, for a while. These two Christians pray for the son. The son comes back to life. Guess what happens next? <clears throat> the witch doctor says, okay, all the stuff I've been doing, this is crazy. Okay, I need Jesus. Right? They hear the message of the gospel. He gets saved and becomes a useful evangelist in that area among his people. I don't know about you, but I want to live with a greater, expect, greater expectant faith in how Christ may still grant miracles, healings, to serve, not in, not in an end in themselves, not, in, not a miracle in, as an end in itself, but miracles, healings to serve the proclamation of the gospel. <clears throat> Number three, miracles here in Acts 9. And I think every true miracle, point, they all point to the coming kingdom of Christ. <clears throat> Sickness and death will always be part of this age. <clears throat> they will. Suffering will be part of this age. We seek the Lord as we ought. We press in to God and ask him that he may be pleased to, for whatever he may be pleased to grant us now. But the kingdom of God is not yet fully here. But it's coming. Amen? The kingdom of God is here partially and it's coming fully. When Jesus began his earthly ministry, he taught about the kingdom and described it in an already not yet sort of way. Right? Here's what I mean. When Christ came, the kingdom or the reign of God, the kingdom of God or the reign of God had come. 
It had invaded planet Earth in Christ, through Christ. In Luke chapter 11, Jesus describes it this way. He says, if by the finger of God I cast out demons, then the kingdom of God has come upon you. In other words, when there's a healing or exorcism or anything like that, when that happens, the the reign of God has come. The kingdom of God has come upon someone. God has stepped in and said, enough of this. Healings, demonic exorcisms, raising the dead, the cleansing of lepers, changing hearts, every heart that has been changed by the Spirit to believe in Christ and the gospel, that is a demonstration of the presence of the kingdom. That the kingdom is already present. And I think the miracles of Acts chapter 9 are demonstrations of that too. The kingdom, however, is not yet fully here. And I think that's abundantly clear experientially, but more importantly, biblically. There is still sickness and death and sorrow and evil and suffering and sin. And though we see something wrong with these things and out of order with these things, the New Testament says these things will remain until Christ comes and makes everything wrong right. And he will come and make everything wrong right. So every miracle, every healing, every changed heart, from small to large, they all point forward to the coming full kingdom of Christ. When every sickness, think about this, every sickness, we don't know a world like this right now. just heard about Deborah's sister. I was visiting with someone earlier uh, in the week about my dad again. In fact, it was just yesterday, I think. Anyways, died of cancer. We, we know a world full of sickness. When Christ comes, he'll be gone. Be gone forever. Every sickness, every sin. Our world is run through with sin. Every sin. All death will be eradicated forever. Isn't that amazing? Isn't that our hope? I mean, it's not that somehow we can make that happen. It's that Christ will step in at the appointed time and say, enough of all of this. And everything will be changed. It is when Christ appears that we who believe in him will be like him because we will see him as he is. It's when he appears. And what we see in Peter's heart here, right, his heart's being cracked open and being liberated from things that are not right. When we see him, our hearts are going to be completely transformed. And every twisted attitude and every sinful tendency will be gone forever. We don't settle for it now. We dare not settle for it now. But Jesus is the Savior. Perfect and full Savior. It is when Christ comes that every tear will be wiped from our eyes. Every painful tear. There might be tears of joy. I don't know. Not sure. Probably lots of laughter. 
It is when he comes that every disease and sickness and ache and pain in the bodies of all of his people will be perfectly and forever healed. There will be no such thing as Lyme disease and and migraines and autoimmune disease. It'll be gone. It'll be gone. It is when he comes that Jesus says in John 5, all who are in the tomb will hear his voice and come out. Those who have done good to the resurrection of life and those who have done evil to the resurrection of judgment. I don't know. I'm not sure if we will personally hear his voice. Like, we'll hear his voice. That's what he says. But I don't know if it'll be like, Mary, arise. Lori, arise. Andy, arise. I'm not trying to pick on, like, the rest of you won't hear that, okay? But I don't know if it's going to be personal like that. I don't know. We're going to hear his voice. And we're going to rise. And we're going to get new bodies. New bodies that will never perish. And never get old again. They'll never decay. None of that. He will make all things new. Death itself, the final enemy, will be destroyed forever. Our final hope. This is is the tension we live in. And and maybe I want to push. I want to live with greater expectancy of of what Christ can do now. But our final hope is not in a miracle today. Not in a healing today. I want to press in for that. For some here. But our final hope is in the coming glorious triumphant kingdom of the Lord Jesus Christ forever. So miracles point forward to the coming kingdom of Christ. Now, I want to leave you with three things this morning. All right, um, Here's... Here's what I want you to do today. I want, I want you to do something with me. And, and I want you to do it starting right now. Not think about it, maybe go home later and start tomorrow or something. But let's start right now. The first thing I want you to do is say an emphatic yes that Jesus is alive. He is risen from the dead. He is personal. He is present by his spirit. And he is powerful today. I want you to say, yes. Could it be said today to anyone here with any infirmity, physical, spiritual, whatever, Jesus Christ heals you? It could be. It could be. And in a moment, your world is changed. Does Jesus still raise the dead physically? Yes, physically. Even more importantly, spiritually, yes. Does Jesus still radically transform hearts? Yes. Removing deep-seated bitterness and discrimination and prejudice and unforgiveness and lust and anger and greed and hate. Yes. And if that's you today, it can happen to you. A besetting, a besetting sin that you've struggled with for years, you can be set free from today through Christ. He can heal. He can raise the dead. He can raise your 
son or daughter who is spiritually dead to life. He can raise your neighbor, your sister, your brother who is spiritually dead to life. He can do it. He can. And all of this for the glory of his fame. Second, I want you to live. Let's live a life of undaunted faith. Our only way forward is through a lively and expectant faith in the risen, powerful, present, personal Lord Jesus Christ. That's our only way forward. Otherwise, I, uh, listen, I can, I, I'm concerned about how often I live in unbelief. I'm just going to be honest. I got, I got the right, I think, a lot of right theology. But as far as this lively faith thrusting me forward in the power of the Spirit, I, I, wa- I want to live there more. And I want you to as well. Jesus is alive. He's poured out his spirit. He is with us always to the end of the age through his spirit. He can transform your darkness to light, your defeat into victory. He can take your deepest pain and make it a memorial of his goodness. He can set you free or your loved one free from sin that seems to grip him or her. He can raise your child from the dead in a moment saying, come forth and make him or her a lover of Jesus Christ. He can do it. And we ought to live in faith in that and remind ourselves of that every day. And finally, let's partner with Jesus. Let's not just live by faith in what he can do in our lives. Amen. Let's partner with Jesus. Let's seek to partner with the Lord in what he is doing. It doesn't matter what we're doing. Let's not try to get him to partner with us. When we read through the book of Acts, we see what Christ is doing. And so Peter came to Lydda, and he found this man, Aeneas. I don't know how he found him. I'm not sure what that looks like exactly, but if he was told by the Spirit to go find this guy named Aeneas, I don't know. Or if he just ran into him or some friends... Disciples told him, I don't know for sure. But he found Aeneas, and he partnered with Christ and delivered Christ's gift of healing to him. Let's partner with Christ. Let's co-labor with him. Peter, in our story this morning, in our text, was both the recipient of the Lord's powerful work in his own heart and the delivery guy for two other glorious Christ-honoring miracles. So let's say, Lord Jesus, here I am. Fill me with your spirit. Use me. And we need the spirit, don't we? We desperately need the spirit. And his dynamic power and leading and guidance and help and sanctifying grace, we need him desperately. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we are here today. And we just say, here we are. Um, Use us. Send us. We need your spirit. We all know what it's like to attempt in the flesh to do things, even, even good things for you. And it just seems to fall flat. But I, but I think we all have also tasted all born again, blood-bought disciples have tasted of what it's like to 
be led by and empowered by, strengthened by walking in the Holy Spirit. And so we just seek you today, Lord. We want to partner with you. We want to be in awe of you and who you are and what you have accomplished and what you're doing now and, and see what you're doing and, 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 and partner with you in the strength of the Holy Spirit. So help us even maybe, perhaps right now, even give, put a, the face of somebody in our mind or a name in our mind, someone that you want us to reach out to today or tomorrow, this week, and that we might be the instruments of delivering your, certainly your love and the message of the gospel and perhaps even a glorious miracle that would point them to you. Fill us with expectation of what you are able to do. In Jesus' name, amen. If you'd stay put, please. We are going to close our time with the Lord's Supper this morning. David's going to lead us in that time. And, and when we're done with that, I just would also ask you, if you have any need this morning you want prayer for, uh, we want to pray for you. So we want to, uh, we want to minister in the name of Jesus to you this morning.